we think of ourselves as a community or an organization or whatever, and there needs to be um, there needs to be a leadership structure within that organization of the self. And that is like the, those different conflicting impulses need to be integrated and channeled toward a higher purpose of some kind. And that higher purpose can be um, it can be like being happy, not being happy at the expense of someone else's happiness, but being happy, um, you know, in spite of whatever suffering you're experiencing. It can be defined as creating something new, putting something new into the world. Welcome, welcome, I'm your host Stefano and this is When Leaders Talk, a podcast about leadership and most importantly about leaders. This is the first episode of 2024 and is already a special one, as many more we will see in the rest of the year. Well, it's special because for the first time we have two people together in the in, as guests in the uh, in the episode, and they are Ido and Mekaya Otini. They are a married couple, they work together, they are the founders of datekeepers.com, who is an international media platform who actually promote uh, what they call nuanced journalism. Well, I invite you to go and check it out. It's a special um, episode also because of the stories that they bring together. Io is a Fulbright Scholar, is a Steinbeck Fellow and a McDowell Fellow and much more, but beyond these titles, she is a blind person who, sh who has gone through a lot of challenges in her life. So she will tell her story of pain, sacrifice, of resilience, resistance, of determination and of success. Mekai on the other side, he's American, while Ido is a Moroccan born. Um, Mekai is an artist, so his story is more about exploration, it's about improvisation, it's about creativity, it's about exploring something outside the boundaries. And this is all about personal leadership, how to come up together, and not just leadership, therefore. There is much more in this episode, and I'm sure they will inspire a lot of people. So if you like this episode, please don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. This is the only way for me to have great guests and therefore great conversation in this podcast. And you can also follow me on social networks like LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram. Well, with no further ado, I leave the floor to Ido and Makaya Odini. So, Ido and Makaya, what is your definition of leadership? Uh, hi, uh, this is Ito uh, Odini. Um, as a multilingual speaker, and also uh, because of my history, I've, I've, I've. Um, navigated different cultures and languages, and I grew up in, in different cultures, um, originally from Morocco. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a leadership or a leader is really a vague definition. Of course, there is a dictionary uh, definition that, you know, leader is someone who leads, uh, but it differs from culture to culture and from language to language. And even with sometimes within cultures, you can find uh, people's uh, definition of um, leader or leadership uh, sometimes is totally different. Okay. Um, I, I know Micaiah is ready to answer too, but I, I, yeah, I need yeah. to follow up on this because, okay, so... Base, and and that's, that's interesting because you're coming from Morocco, as you mentioned. I know you're coming from the mountains from Morocco, actually. So uh, small towns, probably not big cities. Uh, what is that that you have learned from the leaders in your culture then? Uh, in my culture, or I would say like my, um, the Amazigh, uh, Moroccan native communities, um, Leadership differs, like, for example, decision-making always defaults to women. 
they are the ones who get to make decisions. Uh, men uh, work outside. Of course, outside work also is collaboration because we didn't have schools. We didn't have, um, you know, modern life that uh, would distract people, including televisions and radios and uh, newspapers. There was nothing. Um, so leadership was mainly a, a decision making that was most of the times in the hands of women. Okay, so you have a wife who was grew up, you know, who grew up in a, in a culture where women were leading, you know. And now I'm asking you then, what, what is your definition of leadership? Yes, well, I should I should uh, note first that um, she she also leads in our marriage too. In fact, she's the one who started our relationship. And when we got married, I took her name. So I was born Micaiah Walters, and now I'm Micaiah Otini. Uh, so that she's keeping the she's continuing the tradition. It seems like to, to me, it seems that leadership varies depending on context. So you can have different leadership styles that are suited to different contexts, meaning that you would have different definitions of leadership in different contexts. And because we're working with artists and writers primarily, and because artists and writers, uh, there, you can kind of profile artists and writers at this juncture in history as people who are predominantly um, processing trauma through art because art is one of the best ways to process trauma so most likely these are like these communities have a lot of trauma um and also uh people who don't have a lot of opportunities and i've wanted to be a writer since i was very small um and when i was actually growing up it seemed to me that there were a lot of opportunities in the writing world that the like the market was expanding i could see new voices like more different um, types of voices from different cultural backgrounds and perspectives coming into the conversation, it seemed to me that that world was opening up. And in recent years, particularly since the pandemic, the like the opportunities for writers have cratered. The publishing industry is, um, I, I don't know if collapsing is too strong a word, but it's contracting rather significantly. On, uh, on the journalistic side, you've got uh, like small magazines and journals and newspapers are dying on the vine. Large institutions are increasingly gatekept. So there's a lot of writers and artists in the world who are starved for opportunities. To me, it seems that in relation to that population, often leadership just means creating opportunities and making sure that people know that you are not like lying in wait, ready to collect the fruits of their labor if they take those opportunities. And that's what we're trying to do with the Daykeepers. Yeah, and uh, actually, I I saw the website you um, you have and the job that what you've done. Also, I've read a few articles you've wrote and listened to previous interviews, and I'm very intrigued by that. Um, and the first part that really intrigues me is not just the the work you're doing, but it's where you're coming from, right? And that's. There is a, that when I said that there is a lot to unpack, I was especially referring to the struggles you had to go through to be where you are right now. I don't want to anticipate anything because I would like you guys to tell your stories and I'm sure that I will have tons of questions about it. Uh, I will try to well a little bit and, and go into more details. Um, but so please, um, what, what is that you want to share with us about, about yourselves? Um, yeah, uh, for me, as I said, um, even though women were uh, decision makers uh, in my er early life, it wasn't what I wanted to be. It, not like I love being a leader and I enjoy it, but I don't like the negative connotations that come with it. Negative connotations that come with manager or negative connotations that come with a mentor, right? Like the power that is um, attached to all of those. I, I try, I strive to to um, only uh, do it in a, in a positive way, like collaborative way. Um, for example, when I moved to my um, mother's side, uh, leadership was different. It was more of like men having power over women. Um, the girls were not um, able to even make simple decisions of like who to marry, when to marry, um, and if if relationships are not healthy, whether they get to choose to divorce or not. 
Um, and in my school, I was, uh, I wanted to learn, but I was always uh, turned down or like looked uh, down by um, some of my male professors or um, even female professors or my male or female classmates, depending on um, the situation, because not only that I am a woman, but also I am a native woman. I am a, a woman with disability. I am totally blind. Uh, so in every situation, anyone could could easily see me as uh, less capable of uh, leadership or, or decision making. On the other hand, there have been people who have supported me and have um, motivated me and taught me how to uh, build my own, like, as I said, definition of leadership and, and, and being a manager and, and being a mentor to other people. So now, instead of uh, saying that, you know, I, I'm like, instead of being a person who is, oh, I am the, the, the decision maker on, for example, what to write with our uh, writers at the Daykeepers or um, how to how to do it or like basically controlling people is something that my formal life taught me not to do because it's not healthy uh, for me as well as for those uh, that are involved in my life. As the research has shown, people work uh, better, produce more and um, relationships get healthier when people are working in a collaborative relationship instead of someone having power over the other. Um, as for my former life, I, I, I guess I can uh, briefly say a little bit. I lost both of my parents when I was very young, so I don't have um, that, um, you know, like a memory of whether my father was, you know, more of a in a controlling relationship or my mom. Um, I've heard that it was my father, um, but also I've heard that uh, my mom was the one who gave me the name Ito. And she herself was a very, very, very powerful woman. And she named me after a woman who fought in the, the, the during the colony. Fred, Morocco was colonized by France from 1912 to 1956. And uh, my mother wanted to name me Ito after that woman so that I can become powerful, advocate for um, uh, uh, the marginalized people and make a name for myself, just like that woman made. We actually have um, a name of a, a, a hill between uh, two cities in Morocco, Meknes and Azro, and it's named Mandar Ito, which means the site of Ito. But the funny thing about that is that um, that woman, I don't, I think it's a myth, but it was believed that she had a very strong sight. She was able to see from one side to the other so that she can tell the tribe that uh, the enemy is coming. Well, I am totally blind. I, I have no, no sight, uh, but vision can mean different things, right? Like um, vision doesn't mean that like someone can see like vision, vision, especially in the decision making. Um, it's it's different. Like having vision for my life, for my relationships, for my company, that doesn't require eyes. Um, and and I think I I I I, I am accomplishing my mother's dream, even though she unfortunately died and doesn't didn't have the chance to um, live it and celebrate it with me. Uh, but I still think about her as, as a powerful influencer um, in my life, even though I don't have memories to, to remember how um, my early life was with her. Thank you for sharing this. Okay, you wanna add something? <clears throat> yeah. Sure, yeah. I mean, um, in some way, in many ways, my life is very different than Ito's, but in a few ways, it's actually kind of strikingly similar. I was born and raised in North Carolina, and my parents both had rebelled against their families and had, um, to some degree, dropped out of society. They were they hadn't completely dropped out of society. They both were working and 
participating um, like in the economy, but they were culturally just kind of, we were in a world of our own and I was homeschooled from, uh, like I never went to public school. I, the first time I entered a, like a public educational institution was when I was 16 and I went to community college. So that whole time growing up, I was just uh, like on my own and somewhat socially isolated. Uh, I didn't have other friends my age. Uh, I didn't have like a, a community or a social network. And so when I did enter the mainstream society, I was coming into it as an outsider. So Ito is in some ways an outsider to American culture, but me too. <laughs> I'm also, I'm also like, uh, you know, viewing my own culture from the perspective of someone who was not really raised in that culture, which is in some ways it's a disconcerting experience, but it also like you see different things and you see you, you, like you start to see patterns that you might not see when you're actually emerged in them. And like Ito, I kind of, uh, I, I didn't really enjoy seeing people use the power that had been invested in them by hierarchies and institutions to psychologically abuse one another. And that's not an argument against hierarchies or institutions or formalized leadership, because I think those things are important, but they need to be balanced there need to be opportunities and spaces where people can thrive when they're self-motivated. And that's something I developed um, because I was homeschooled and I kind of, I had to set my own deadlines. I had to um, pursue the material on my own. My parents gave some guidance some of the time, but I was kind of left my own devices with my education and I ended up getting a master's degree. So I just, um, I don't think I would have done that if I were being pressured to do it though. And that's one thing I credit my parents with is they, did not pressure me to do anything in particular, and they let me choose my own path, and I chose to become a writer. I think there are a lot of people who need more of that freedom in their lives, not because there's anything intrinsically problematic about uh, uh, like leadership within a formal hierarchy structure, but because if someone has been like in that situation so often, and they face abuse in that context so often, that's the association that they have with that context, is that Power, like leadership equals power equals control equals abuse. And many people are more likely to thrive outside of that structure. So leadership has to mean something different for them. And um, that's how I've come to this perspective is I don't think it's a one size fits all thing, but I do think there's a significant portion of the population who need to, um, like they, they need opportunities and they need role models to follow without being pressured to conform to a norm or to follow a set of narrow instructions or to play like to function as a role in a cog in a larger institution and this makes absolutely sense because you're coming from a world of creativity so you don't want rules you want to express yourself without any boundaries right and even a sort of boundaries actually i read what you wrote I've, I'm, I'm, i think recently you have won a prize right so i read the the, the story a little bit sad but very <laughs> Very nice, actually. It was it was incredible the way you write, and I was able to really be there with the the the, uh, the characters of of this of this short novel. Um, the thing that comes out from the stories that I heard is that apparently you guys you don't know what being the, the comfort zone mean, right? <laughs> you don't you either. <laughs> yeah. And actually, I want to add something that Ido has probably omitted, but. The, <clears throat> You, you know, you were not born blind, right? You were made blind when you were 17, and that was, in a way, the starting point of a new life. A new life that, you know, what, what amazes me is that at the time you were not able to read when you were 17. So you learn reading by, you know, when you were already blind. And now, how many languages do you speak? Seven, if I'm not wrong? Yes, right? I do. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, it depends. Awesome. Yeah, it depends on, on, on what you count as a language now. Like, if a language that I speak, but I've, I've learned a lot of things. I, I learned how to read and write Braille, which is a method that uh, blind people use and in all of those all languages. languages. Uh, and it's different in all of those languages. And each language, oh. for example, English has, uh, like, uh, standard Braille and contracted Braille and all of those languages have the same. And that helps me uh, think deeply about things. And for uh, 
blindness, I, I am grateful. Uh, the blindness also has opened the doors. And instead of using my eyes to judge people, I use my ears to listen and observe uh, more than, you know, observing with eyes. There's nothing wrong with that. Uh, but I, I have been using the strength I have, which is like, again, observing uh, people by hearing their words or reading them uh, through whichever method I, I used to read. Uh, but it, it's true. I started school for the very first time when I was 17. I never say it was, it was easy. It was really hard. Um, even though I learned Braille in one day um, and my teacher asked me to read and um, he kind of didn't believe me because what I read was a joke that my classmate wrote um, in his notebook. And um, my teacher said, if that was true, I will kick you out of my class and you will never enter here because you are nothing but a dirty uh, blind the woman. To the other to, to me first, um, like the teacher was really mad because what I read didn't make any sense. And he said, bring that notebook to me. And I took the notebook and I, I gave it to him. And he also is blind. And he put his fingers and read it. And what he read was true. That was what I read. And then he was really mad at my classmate because my classmate was the best student in the class. Well, before I before I came, I, I unfortunately took his place. Um, but I passed my seventh grade. I didn't start from the first grade because of my age. I was seventeen. I it was two weeks that I had to pass the seventh grade. Like as I said, everything that I have accomplished is through hard work. And again, as I always say in my writing, in my speaking thanks to the people who have believed in me and supported me. Uh, but it was, it was, it was hard. I had to give up food, sleep. I became homeless and that was like, I was homeless for six years. Um, I struggled. I, I had to, like, as I said, uh, for example, use the money that I got through working or people handed me on the street uh, to buy books and, and pay other people to read to me. Uh, but everything paid off at the end. I graduated high school and went to the university uh, where I studied English literature and then applied linguistics. But the hardest thing was organizations didn't want to believe in me, right? Like, oh, whenever I went to an organization, they would say like, oh, you're blind. Even sighted people haven't done anything. Like what it, it they thought, any investment in me would be a waste. Uh, and one time I found an organization that, well, believed in me, but still does. So that I still have like a very strong community. In 2016, I um, my life changed where when I um, was, I was in the capital looking for opportunities and a taxi driver told me that there was an organization and he didn't really know what is it, but he said foreigners were going in and out. And that's how I ended up at the Fulbright office, Fulbright Commission back in Morocco. And I was so scared because the people there from the executive director to the security guard were like talking to me, hugging me, like consider, like it was the first time where I felt like I was a human. Um, and they were really, really, really like supportive and saying, we're proud of you. Your English is, is you know, st you still need work, but you're doing great. If you apply, you will compete with everyone and you will get the scholarship to study in the U.S. Thankfully, I didn't know that the Fulbright is very competitive and prestigious. If I did, maybe I would be freaking out. <laughs> I thought I was competing with like, mm, like three blind people in Morocco and maybe one of them will get it. But I wasn't, I didn't know that I was competing with thousands of people around the world um, to be selected uh, amongst uh, like tens of people. So uh, that was, I, I was, I'm grateful for that because that was, you know, ignorance on my part. I didn't have access to technology to look up things. Um, so that was great. I just was working hard and was awarded the, the scholarship. And 
the media, like before I became a Fulbrighter, I was trying to go to Moroccan uh, journalists to feature my story and there was not interest. And like, well, I, I always love storytelling since I was a kid. I was born in a cultural well where um, oral storytelling is 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 very uh, like it's practiced every day. Uh, but then when I went to school, I fell in love with journalism, and I was confused why journalists didn't tell stories like mine. Um, and when I got the Fulbright, they were they wanted to right like, and I said I want to talk about my past life, what I've had to overcome, and the challenges I faced, uh, and like why when for example this is back to leadership leaders wouldn't some not everyone but like when you try to ex like ex exercise power or judge or whatever you look at the person before the capability the capabilities of that person what can that person produce um how is that person going to benefit your organization as as a leader, uh, what um, you know, what you personally as a leader can learn from someone who looks or sounds or has had like sounds different than you or has had different experience. Like as much as our past defines who we are, but our past does not define who we can be. If that makes sense, like we can be, you know, born poor. Uh, with a different gender, sexuality, disability, that doesn't mean that we're not capable um, of doing things. And that's the, that's one of the many things I'm trying to, to break instead of, you know, telling people what to do, what they can or cannot do. I want them to tell me what they can do and why. Uh, and that's how we can make our world a better place. And there are organizations that I admire and 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 I, I I try my best to follow their footsteps. And one specifically is the Fulbright program. It's the best organization, the most inclusive, and the community is like the most caring community. I wouldn't have changed the thing from my past. Uh, I'm grateful I had to go through what I had to go through to appreciate uh the, the community, the love, the care, and the support that I receive from, from the community and the um, things that I have accomplished. Uh, for this reason, I guess, that's why you are writing, I know your biography with uh, your husband, and the title is Blindness is the Light of My Life, right? Yes, it's a memoir. It's a memoir, right, absolutely. <clears throat> and I'm very curious, I wanna read it. I mean. Uh, what are the, what are the the uh, the qualities that you think allow you to to go through all those challenges and become the person that you are? I mean, you were. My understanding is that you were really struggling to survive. At some point, you were begging money for eating and buying books as well. <laughs> Um, you, you were homeless and blind in, in a country that, uh, I guess, poverty is um, is probably higher than many other countries, like in the United States, for example. So a lot of struggles, a lot of uh, what I see is a lot of courage or a lot of resilience. What, what, what are the qualities? What, what was the voice that you 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 heard and then probably you see here every day that allow you to become the person that you are now a successful woman a journalist think, with a master degree and much more i think because there's enough negative people out there <laughs> that's as simple as it is um also i was hurting i'm not gonna lie i was sad and all of it and i i, I had a lot of pain while I was going through those things. And I don't want to have that anymore, right? For example, everyone who, like now if I start to have pain, I'll, I'll say, sorry, I'm going to hang up. I'm going to go to the emergency room, right? Emergency room can represent happiness and the choice, I guess, to choose to be 
positive and happy. And also when I am positive and happy, I can impact other people in the world and also make the best of my circumstances. If I were angry at everyone, because at the end of the day, what I had to go through, it was nobody's fault. It was the circumstances that uh, put me in that situation. I mean, my parents had died. I, I didn't kill them. Um, so why would I, you know, hurt myself? <laughs> no, I, I mean, no. Uh, but like, you know, for example, I, of course I wanted them to be here and all of that, but I don't grieve over things that, you know, were done to me or that I didn't have. Instead, I take opportunities of the things that are here. And also, I think there is more good in the world than bad, at least from my experience. For example, when I landed in the US, I didn't even know what Arkansas was. I came alone and I found a person at the airport waiting for me. I found my fridge full of food. I didn't bring any money. I was poor. Um, the Forbright sent my advisor uh, to help orient me. They hired the person to help orient me. And I, I had no idea that was happening. Um, I didn't know what's going to happen. I just came and I thought, well, you know, I'll, I'll figure it out. Uh, I met my husband. We became best friends. I became best friends with almost everyone at the university, uh, people who were there cooking, people who worked at restaurants. Uh, sometimes I stayed overnight working at school, people who worked there. So I think, again, it's attitude and how I see the world as, um, like, you know, treat others as you want to be treated. And also positivity begets positivity. Happiness gets you more happy. And if you are happy and positive and you work you will produce more you will um produce better work good results uh improve the world uh do things that people enjoy and love uh because i think our our the way we we think and the way we feel comes across through our work and can i add too yeah. i think those are those are qualities those are things that you cannot force somebody to do, you can't order someone to do them. You can really only inspire other people to do them by leading by example. And since we're on the topic of leadership and since your podcast is called Master Your C, I would I would tweak that a little bit. Uh, and I think the first person any of us need to master is ourselves. And we, if we're going to be leaders, we have to lead ourselves because I think of the self as, it, like none of us is a single entity. We're all this... Um, and this is kind of like a um, like a Freudian Jungian uh, perspective, but like we, it, it also is kind of borne out by contemporary neuroscience as well, which not all Freudian or Jungian ideas are. But we are actually like composites of all these different um, impulses and drives and instincts that sometimes can come into conflict with one another. And those conflicts can be devastating if we have two or more drives that are at cross purposes operating within ourselves, and we don't know which one to give priority to. We're going to stumble in. Uh, and possibly, you know, ruin our future prospects. So we think of ourselves as a community or an organization or whatever, and there needs to be, um, there needs to be a leadership structure within that organization of the self. And that is like the, those different conflicting impulses need to be integrated and channeled toward a higher purpose of some kind. And that higher purpose can be, um, it can be like being happy, not being happy at the expense of someone else's happiness, but being happy um, you know, in spite of whatever suffering you're experiencing, it can be defined as creating something new, putting something new into the world, um, some piece of art, some product, some invention. Uh, and, and those higher aims are really the only way to integrate what might otherwise be conflicting um, factions within the self, which are analogous to conflicting factions within an organization. I, I I totally agree with what you're saying. You know, you need to be not just optimistic. You know, and that's 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 a good way to see it, but also to understand that from every difficulty, you can find opportunities. Yes. Even if whatever you have planned is not going the direction you want it, you can still trace a new 
course for you know and and follow and reach a different destination is not the destination for what you wanted but it's going to be better it's going to be better because you when you look behind you will see the challenges that you endure and that you and what you have achieved from there that's the beauty the beauty is is and a lot of people say right the beauty is not the destination but it's in the journey itself and it's true and it's absolutely true and actually when you mention master your thank you by the way <laughs> uh, that's that's actually the, the the meaning of it a leader is has to master not just the team and you know the organization whatever they they have to to uh, manage and you know they they are responsible for but first and foremost they have to manage themselves that's where the your see comes right you, you know to know yourself and you, you you know to you need to know how to con in a way control yourself and that's because especially you know some qualities they will come out not when the sea is calm but with actually you got waves and wind and, and everything is coming to your ship and you still need need to keep the helm and steer the ship safely to the destination whatever it is well so, it's interesting because the water typically represents the subconscious or the emotional realm and if you don't have a sturdy vessel you and you know you never know what's going to come out of that <laughs> I like that. I like that. Yeah, thank you. You know, the water, the sea, normally, yeah, you're absolutely right. In, or it's life in a, in a more broad sense with events and things happening to you. You don't control the, the waves. You don't control the wind. The only thing you can control is yourself, the ship, you know, the, the, and whatever, the, whatever, whatever you're doing with it and how you react to it. You know, it's not important. You don't control anything, most of the things in your life. But how you react to it, to those, that's the only thing you can control. Yeah, but also I think, uh, you know, if we try to be who we are not, it's not healthy for everyone involved. The leader and the organization and everyone involved, the entire team. Uh, for example, you know, again, like as I said before, it's easier to get someone's emotional state. And fear is one of the very dangerous emotions, especially in leadership. If you're afraid of your team finding out that you are not good at this or that, but instead a leader should accept that they cannot do everything, that the reason that they are leading the organization doesn't mean that they can do everything. If they can, then why have other people around? Like. I could, you know, go to uh, somewhere and live on my own and do everything on my own. But instead, we have to acknowledge that we cannot and we'll never be able to do everything on our own. We need uh, people to collaborate with us. Sometimes we don't even think about it. Like if you sit down and think about your day, even if you are, you know, 100% as they say, even though, I, again, there is no such thing as 100% uh, independent. For example, when you go to the store, this is a very simple example. When you go to the store, there are people there who serve you, even if you self-serve, like you shop, you come, you check out without going through the cashier. Who put those things in, in the bags that you are getting? Who packed that stuff? Who, like, think about it deeply that in this world we're all together and if we work together and acknowledge that we are not uh you know we 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 are not 100 perfect there is no such thing that way you can ask your team about you know like oh for example i wanted to, to um draw something or paint something well i can tell my team guys i'm blind please do it and be proud of it and that that's blindness is just one example of limitations uh but limitations sometimes are invisible someone has never had the chance to learn a skill that's a limitation some sometimes someone tries to learn a skill but they cannot learn it that's a limitation but if we put what we know and what we can do together as one and 
like respect other people and uh, and our team that's like the healthiest approach to any organization and i think this is my personal opinion the reason a lot of organizations have failed or are failing is because of lack of confidence and a lot of fear anxiety and fear of not wanting to show someone's weaknesses in this case leaders and that makes leaders afraid of someone who might know what they don't know i hope this makes sense uh, absolutely absolutely and fear i mean it's normal it's natural to fear something to um be scared by a situation and but once again isn't is the 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 what is important is not let the fear define you, but react to it, right? Do something about it. It's like the same as vulnerability. I'm, I know I'm repeating concept that I already expressed in previous episodes, but you know, being vulnerable, as you mentioned, you know, you know, earlier, the leader doesn't know everything. They cannot know everything. I mean, I've been commanding ships, right? When I was in the Navy, and I, I, I did not know everything about the ship. I was relying on a number of people that were much more competent than I was on specific sectors. And I was fine with it. I mean, I was not really trying to, to know everything. I, of course, with time you acquire some knowledge, but it's not the same level of knowledge that they have. And I was absolutely fine with that. Uh, being Not being the smartest pers uh, person in the room and yet being the leader, it's um, acknowledging that is is an important step uh towards being you know humility being humble and being more open to others opinion and less authoritative and the other thing that i really like you, you both guys you've been talking about purpose and kind of finding your own way and there is a beautiful book that i'm reading right now and i think i have it here yeah here you go it's called the soul's code i'm gonna show it for who's mm -hmm. watching the, uh, the the thing but it's the soul's code written by james hillman in search of character and calling and it tells a fantastic story it's not i don't know if you if you have read about it um i invite you to do it it's very technical very um it's, it's written by psychologists it's, but it's it's a beautiful way to say that Every each of us has what he calls the accord. Is a talent. Is something that you have since you were born, and you might struggle to find it. But the universe will try to help you to get there. And sometimes it is not strong enough, maybe, and you still do something that probably you don't feel fit for. But you know, the, 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 there is this. Let's call it like a vocation and more than a talent, something something above the talent, above passion and, and everything else. I love the story. <clears throat> I have a question for you guys and then uh, talking about leadership because I'm curious because you you are partners in life and partners and partners in business, right? And that's a tricky situation, I guess. And I don't know if you want to share how do you deal with uh, uh, managing, you know, uh, a marriage and a partnership in business without <laughs> conflicts, I would say, without affecting the private life. Uh, personally, I think it's great. This actually makes us more getting closer to each other. For example, we've been with each other for a few years. I feel like We've been with each other for like maybe a few thousand years, even though that's an impossible thing for humans to do. <laughs> um, it helps us. We, we're getting there. We're getting there. You know, a lot of a lot of research uh, are pretty much aimed to a very long life. Well, now you—they say time flies when you're having fun, but you yeah. feel like it. Well, you feel like it's been thousands of years with me already, huh? Well, <laughs> maybe in that way. I'm teasing. <laughs> you know, like for example, if we were, let's say, uh, like he's working in a different field, and I'm in a different field, and we don't bounce ideas of each other, we don't give up, like feedback to each other and all of that 
I, I think I, I'm not saying that is wrong, but in our case, uh, maybe that wouldn't be that wouldn't help us to become closer to each other and love each other more and support each other. We love what we do. We enjoy it. I think if we were, you know, we, we found ourselves in a situation where we had no choice but to start some business that we didn't believe in, but we are doing what we love and, and we love each other. Like, as I said earlier, we were best friends. As a matter of fact, a lot of people thought we were dating and I was so frustrated. <laughs> Everyone would ask me like, when are you guys going to get married? And I said, I would say tomorrow, like just as a joke, but I was so like, I was like, is it possible for two people to be best friends? Uh, and I think personally, he can speak for himself. But even if we started this when we were friends, it would have become as successful as it is today. Because again, it's love and passion for what we do. And and we love each other. And we enjoy um, every moment with each other. For example, he, I am an early bird and he is a night owl. Um, I get in patient sometimes and I go to wake him up and I feel bad after that <laughs> <laughs> I'd go and I'd be like hey wake up <laughs> and I yeah and I don't, I don't wake you up at one in the morning though do I no yeah <laughs> well I think yeah I, I agree with that and I think also um because we we both kind of survived on work before we fell in love with each other and so it was natural for us to integrate working together into our relationship because neither one of us had really any like role model or any guidance for how to be in a relationship. Um, neither one of us had dated before or had a long-term relationship before. And, but we both were passionate about our work. And so we learned kind of, we learned to love each other partly through working together. Like that was the the, the framework in which the trial and error happened. Um, and it's, I mean, it, there's a lot of trial and error. There's a lot of, um, I don't know, there's, a, there's just a lot of figuring things out as we go, but doing that in that context of like, like we already had set that precedent uh, in our relationship before we started setting that precedent in our business, which I think is making that easier. Um, and then in terms of how we actually work together, I, I, it's not very systematic, but in general, it tends to um, to shake out that, um, that she's dealing with the big picture and the long-term strategies and I'm dealing with the like the minutiae of like how do we get this next thing done, uh, and it's not always like that. It does it does uh, vary on a case to case basis, but just in in general, that tends to be how we split. And having those different proclivities, like we have a lot of the same interests, but having that difference in how we approach what we're doing, it gives us the ability to like to work together and synthesize our talents without getting in each other's way. Well, and we talk about things. Oh, sorry. That's again. Yeah, like as I said, we 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 discuss things like decision making, and I think the main thing for me personally is that there is love, trust, and honesty, and those are the things I didn't have before yeah. in a in a, in a working relationship. Of course, yeah, I didn't want I didn't want my you know former teammates to all love me in a romantic relationship, but but like you know like trust and honesty. Um, I had a job where I didn't trust anyone and I, I couldn't be myself and I hated it the first day I was in it. So, uh, and I don't think those things are healthy and I'm grateful for that experience. Actually, it taught me how to, you know, treat my team, not only like the both of us, but the entire gatekeepers team, if that makes sense. It makes sense. It makes sense. And what I see from here, I mean, I don't know you guys, but the the information I have gathered talking to you is that you also blend together different aspects. Like uh, Micaiah probably is more the creative part, uh, while Ido is more structure, more um, goal oriented. She's she's the planner, and, and well, that requires creativity too. She's yeah, yeah absolutely, absolutely, it's absolutely. It's just a different, absolutely. Like a different channel for the creativity. Absolutely. I mean, every, and that's what I, I keep repeating, every leader has to be creative. You know, as, as you say it nicely because you need to have a vision and the vision is not just 
a goal. It's beyond the goal. It's beyond the rational part. This where, for example, now the 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 uh, support from uh, um, artificial intelligence, you can uh, create a strategy, but not the vision, because the vision is beyond what the artificial intelligence can think of. It's something that does not exist, and therefore is not accessible to machines yet. Um, but I wonder, <laughs> I wonder, I'm, I'm sure you had your own moments and conflicts and discussions. How do you navigate those moments, you know, trying to keep a healthy relationship at the same time? Uh, I think most of the moments we've had is uh, physical pain, struggle. <laughs> Not like um, I, especially me, I can, I can speak more for myself. Um, I went through a lot of uh, physical and emotional trauma. I am grateful, like emotionally, I have been able to overcome it. Uh, but sometimes like when, for example, that's why he said uh, our skills are like, sometimes he, he does things that I do. Sometimes I do things that he does for many reasons. Like, for example, last week I, I had the weather got so cold and my arthritis uh, was bad and I could not uh, do much and, and he did all of it. So uh, for our personal, I think in our first few months, we were learning how to, um, you know, live with each other because like what he said earlier, personally, I all the uh, relationships I have were abusive and forced into me. I never chose to have a partner. Um, he didn't have uh, relationships before, so it was all our first. Uh, but the main approach we take is communication. And thankfully, we I have a master's degree in communication, so I'm using that. <laughs> yeah, and patience too. Like, like mm -hmm. knowing that just because we're clashing in a moment, or just because like there's some obstacle, like like pain, or not knowing how to do something, or or any other setback in that moment doesn't mean that it's going to persist ad infinitum, that we will like resolve that issue. We will like communicate until we understand what's causing it and then find a way to resolve it. And just bearing that in mind can make conflicts that would otherwise be like very daunting. It can, it can make them small by comparison. It can make them very easy to, um, to process through. And we laugh about them because sometimes it's all like, like again, as I said, this is like a long time ago when we just started. It's um, like miscommunication. And I actually uh, interviewed a woman who was, well, still is married. But at the time I interviewed her in 2021, married for, I think it was, if I remember correctly, uh, 27 years. And she said sometimes she would say something uh, she is an American and her husband is, uh, I think, Mexican. I can't remember exactly, but uh, the cultural misunderstanding and sometimes language, you know, like English is not my first language. Uh, and I have a lot of funny stories. Sometimes I am so tired and sleepy. Uh, I do a lot of uh, work with technology. And by the end of the day, I'm like so out of it. And I make words. I just smash all the languages together and he's patient he just learns how to like yeah i know what you mean now well and from your end it's the language from my end it's anxiety because i have an anxiety disorder and that really interferes with like when i'm having i don't really have panic attacks exactly but when i'm having an anxiety attack it's really difficult to process information uh and, and the only real method that i've found for dealing with that is humor because humor transcends that experience it doesn't make it go away it doesn't like stop it but if I'm able to laugh at myself and laugh with her at me, then I'm able to like put that anxiety into its proper context. And then once it calms down, then revisit whatever issue we were trying to communicate about and discuss it. So we, you know, in 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 both instances, there's there's something inhibiting communication and there's no way through that, but there are ways over and around it. And it's just a matter of finding those pathways and going down them enough times that they feel familiar and well-worn. Yeah, also because <clears throat> is that communication is important, but it's not just communication itself. It's how you communicate. <laughs> you can scream at a person. They're still communicating. <laughs> but probably is doesn't that, help. Is, is that communication? That's <laughs> screaming. 
Well, yeah, it is. I mean, you are verbally trans. You know, the, the communication that in a, in a previous interview, <clears throat> um, the, the the guest, uh, Caroline Sempers, she said that communication is a bridge between two minds, right? And you you do it. I mean, it's it's a violent bridge. Probably it's a bridge of stones and and concrete and whatever. But it is, and it, but the problem is that how you do it, and then you need to you need to be kind, and that's that's what I see. What you were talking about uh, the physical pain or the anxiety, and then all these things, and there is a lot of kindness, there is a lot of understanding, there is a lot of uh, love, of course, and 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 much more, and that's and that is that's absolutely beautiful and rare because you can hear a lot of people couples who try to work together and uh and uh, actually uh it doesn't work and maybe the marriage might suffer of it um i i'm i was curious also because i'm, I'm going to do something very similar to with my wife so uh this was nice. uh, almost a personal question well um and that leads to the final question. And I want to change a little bit because because of the experiences that you have. Um, I I I want to I want to ask you guys: What are the lessons that you have learned throughout your life, throughout your challenges, and that you would um, kind of transfer share? with young leaders? I have learned a lot, um, but I will highlight a few. Um, I have learned that hard work is a path that can take you anywhere. No matter how difficult it is, it's a path. I also have learned that um, what was done to me, I will never do to others, meaning the bad stuff, not the good stuff. Uh, the good stuff, of course, I want to follow a footsteps of the people who have supported me. Um, I still have people's voices in my hair and what in in my ears, <clears throat> sorry, and what like people said to me and how they said it to me and how it has transferred my life. I want to to do that for others and help support and guide them the way that other people guided me in the days of darkness. Um, I also have learned that a way to learn is listen, ask, observe, and do not judge. Never judge people because today, if someone doesn't know what one plus one, what, what that one plus one plus one equals two, tomorrow they might become better than you. Never judge people for their present self because it's very dangerous. Uh, just to give people time and they might show you something else. Um, I also have learned that there's a lot of ways to travel the world. And and one of the those ways, and it's the best, it's reading. Try to read as, as much as, as you can and learn when you read through the characters, whether that is fiction or nonfiction. Um, I think I'm here like by this final one. Um, saying this because I'm a writer and I like people to read my work, but <laughs> and that's true too. <laughs> and read but and read your book. And, 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 and yeah, exactly. <laughs> my book and, and my work at the Daykeepers and my other published work and the, the one that I will publish in the future and all of it. Uh, but I think every artist has something to 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 show or say. Um, and and as a writer, I think um, a lot of fellow writers uh, have a lot of things to say um, and listening through reading is one of the best approaches to life thank you for sharing that yeah and i and i'd like to endorse all of that and uh and retweet but um i i'd also like to add that i think balance is very very important and uh and it manifests in a lot of different ways for example i opened um, by talking about how uh, there are a lot of people who have been traumatized by the abuse that they've experienced in structured contexts and need more freedom. There's also a lot of people in the world who have had too much freedom and didn't know what to do with it and ended up um, damaging themselves or others because of that. And for for them, I think those people 
need still balance. They still need to get back to that middle point. I'm not going to be the like the best leader for that group of people because that's not the experience I've had. Um, I have the experience of trying to arrive at a, a, at a, at a middle ground from a point of having had um, in some ways a lot of freedom, but, but not having had very many tools or opportunities um, and, and needing more opportunities to like, to, to realize the creative impulses that I had internally. So that's not a one size fits all solution. And the reason it's not is that we're all scattered at different extremes. And so I, you know, while espousing one particular leadership philosophy, I, I take care to restrict it to, uh, you know, the group of people who are trying to arrive at that balance point from the same direction that I'm coming from. And I think that also th that shows up in many other areas of life as well. Most um, most causes of suffering are are imbalances in some aspect of life or work. Uh, and and I think striving for that well, first finding out what the balancing point is and then striving for it is usually the, the solution. Sometimes that's too abstract to be useful, but it's a good starting point. And that's beautifully said. And uh, I really want to thank you guys for this conversation. Um, probably less on leadership, more on personal leadership and your what you guys went through in in your life i am truly inspired by your story as a couple as individuals and i am really happy to have you here have you here as a guest so you can share the story with uh with the others so thank you very much for having been beautiful guests thank you for the opportunity thank you so much stefano